Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 23. What is the Lord speaking to the church when he ordained the bitter herb to be used for eating the Passover lamb, for commemorating Passover? Matthew chapter 2, he says, The visit of the wise men from the east when Jesus was born. He says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Remember the wise men were coming from the east. And remember that Daniel, the prophet of the Lord, lived in the east. So the scrolls and the manuscripts that Daniel wrote were in the east. That's why the wise men were able to read the manuscripts of Daniel that were in the east. And they knew that when the Messiah would be born, there now would be that star of the Messiah, of the king, the star of David. And they would follow that star. And that star would lead them to where the king would be. Verse 3, the book of Matthew chapter 2. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the peoples and the chiefs and the teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ who was to be born? In Bethlehem in Judah, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You see very clearly that now the prophecy had been spoken about Judah. The wise men have read the manuscripts of Daniel in the east. They have followed the star. They have asked the king where he is born, and the king is disturbed. And don't lose track. I am still talking about the bitter herb that in the book of Exodus chapter 12 verse 8, the bitter herb that Jehovah God commanded Israel to eat during the Passover festivity, verse 7. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly what time the star had appeared. He sent them out to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Listen to verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over in a place where the child was. Verse 10. Listen to this very carefully. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with the mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Hallelujah. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, of incense called frankincense, and myrrh. That is the reason Jehovah God commanded Israel to eat the bitter herb with the Passover lamb. Hallelujah. And the bread without yeast. Now you see that when Jesus is born, the wise men are coming all the way from the east. They present a gift of gold, which speaks about the presence of the Lord. The purity of God will be with you. The presence of God will be with you all the days of your life. Frankincense, 
which means your life will be such a pleasant aroma unto our Lord the Father in heaven, and bitter mir, mir standing for your life as a servant of God, as a prophet of God, will be a bitter life. Hallelujah. Now do you understand why Jehovah ordained that when they commemorate the Passover, they should eat the bitter herb at the same time together with the unleavened bread and the Passover lamb. The bitter herb, talking about the bitterness that they had suffered in slavery for the 430 years, hallelujah, and the bitterness that the lamb would go through, the lamb that would be used to atone for the sins of Israel, somebody. Hallelujah. So I'm looking at the bitter herb that the Lord commanded Israel to eat with the Passover lamb, which is roasted over fire, and the bread without yeast, the unleavened bread. Hallelujah. Why did Jehovah ordain and command Israel during the Passover to eat the bitter herb? And what does that speak to the church? It is very important for us to realize that when we go unto the Holy Communion, we should remember the bitterness that the Lord passed through. We should go to the table of the Holy Communion with bitterness. But what is the other revelation of the bitter herb that the Lord commanded Israel in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, to eat when sacrificing the Passover lamb during the festivity as a lasting ordinance. Let us look back at the book of Exodus chapter 1, precious people, and you'll see a deeper meaning of the bitter herb and what it says to the church. The first implication, the revelation that's embedded in that is that it should remind them of the bitter pain that they went through as Israel in the slavery. That's the reason the Lord said, do this as a lasting ordinance. And every time you do this, make sure you have bitter herbs that you eat with the lamb that is roasted and the bread without yeast. Now let's look at the pain the Lord was reflecting, having them to remember. The book of Exodus chapter 1 Verse 6, now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation had died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. You see that? Verse 8, then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come so we should deal shrewdly with them. Look at that. Shrewdly. That's the bitterness the Lord is talking about in the bitter herb. Shrewdly with them. Or they will become more numerous. And if a war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them. Do you hear the word oppress them? That is the bitterness the Lord was reflecting in the bitter herb telling them, don't forget the bitterness you've gone through in the slavery from which I delivered you, to oppress them 
with forced labor. Forced labor, I would underline that in my Bible. That is part of the bitterness. And they built Python and Ramesses as stone cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the word is oppressed, the bitterness I'm talking about, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. I would underline the word ruthlessly. Thus, the bitterness the Lord is reflecting in the bitter heart, telling them, don't forget the ruthlessly, the way you were treated ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter. You see verse 14? Their lives were bitter. That's why he told them to eat bitter herbs. And with hard labor and bricks and mortar and all kinds of work in the field and all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Now listen to this verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them, on the delivery stool. If it is a boy, kill him. Do you remember that precious people? So essentially, you see that they were bitterly treated, ruthlessly treated in Egypt, and the Lord did not want them to forget that during the Passover celebrations. So they would remember exactly where the Lord had removed them from, something that would be so important in enhancing and strengthening and maintaining the ordinance and the covenant they had with the Lord, knowing that only the Lord removed them from that bitterness. How would they forget the bitterness? I'm telling you, if you went to Israel today, there's so much high tech, they're living such a modern life, it would have been very easy for them to have forgotten that bitterness. That's why every once a year, they have to commemorate the Passover as a lasting ordinance, and the bitter herb is part of the Passover menu. And now we see that the Lord is also talking about the killing of the male children. And that's why he commanded them to eat bitter herbs. But what does that speak to the church? I have just told you about the church that when Jesus was born, the meaning of that to the church is that when Jesus was born, the book of Matthew chapter 2 verse 11, the wise men came and they laid gold before him, they laid bitter mirror before him, bitter mirror, which is the mirror image of the bitter herb, and then they laid frankincense, which is the incense before him, speaking about Luke. The presence of God will always be with you forever. Your life on this planet earth will be a very bitter life. And your bitter life will give forth a sweet aroma of fragrance that will fill the throne room of our Father in heaven and you will atone for the sins of the earth, the sins of the world. The next level is this. You see the killing of all the boys two years and under and they escape to Egypt by Joseph and Mary. You see that still reflected here in the book of Exodus chapter 1, when they were killing all the boys, and a situation that led to the mother of Moses to paint a basket with tar, and put Moses in that basket, and push Moses along the Nile, the river Nile, 
only to be saved by the king's family. Hallelujah. Now listen to this somebody. And then you see that prophet Jeremiah had spoken about the same. He said, a wailing is heard in Ramah. Rachel wailing, refusing to be comforted. A great mourning is in the land because her children are no more. Because Jesus had been taken to Egypt. But I want you to know that the deep revelation, the deeper part of that revelation is this. It also speaks of the fact that Jesus needed to visit Egypt so he can at the same time also deliver the Hebrew church that came from Egypt. You see that? The Gentile church in the Hebrew church. What a mighty revelation we're seeing. Hallelujah. So another scripture here that talks about the bitterness is the book of Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 to 25. How Moses suffered. And then Genesis chapter 37 verse 25. I'm still looking at the bitter herb that the Lord commanded them to eat at Passover. What does that speak to the church? And we see that even the church, Christ the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Essentially, the church, we should have been approaching the Holy Communion table with a lot of bitterness, remembering the bitterness of the slavery of sin from which Christ removed us. Some of you know some of the things, the physical things of that bitterness. Most of it cannot be written in words or even enumerated. It's spiritual. It is death. But you can remember some of you, the alcoholism he removed you from, the prostitution he removed you from, the many physical attributes of the salvation of the Lord Jesus that you are enjoying. You see that? That's why we should approach the Holy Communion table with a lot of bitterness. To be bitter, say, wow, we cannot forget the bitter place from which he removed us. But let me bring it to another level. Genesis, the book of Genesis 37, verse 25. What is the meaning of the bitter herb that he commanded that they should eat at Passover? Verse 25, Genesis 37 says, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. The camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them to Egypt. Now this is Joseph. After his brothers had thrown him into a pit, hallelujah, and they wanted to kill him. And you see that all of a sudden a caravan of the Ishmaelites was passing. And some of the things they carried, part of what they carried was mir, bitter mir. Talk about the bitterness of the life of Joseph that would turn out to be so important in Egypt even to be saved from there, to save Jacob from there. Remember Jacob from where Israel came. This was very critical. So, the bitter meal that the Lord was talking about here, the bitter herbs that the Lord was talking about to Israel, that they may keep eating as they remember a lasting ordinance with him, is the fact that he did not want them to forget the bitterness from which they came. 
And you see the bitterness Joseph goes through here also is related with the bitter meal that was being carried to Egypt. Speaking about the bitterness that Joseph was going to go through in Egypt. He was going to be put in jail. He was going to suffer before finally he would rise to be a king. So bitter meal and bitter herbs essentially talk about the bitterness from which deliverance has taken place, from which the church has been delivered. But I want to bring it to another level, precious people. The book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. First Peter chapter 2, 4 to 6. Look at what that bitter meal stands for. The bitter meal that was placed at the feet of Jesus, the bitter meal that is the mirror image of the bitter herb in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8. It says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For the scripture says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now listen to this. Jesus is always referred to as the living stone, the living bread, the living water. And in this case, you see that he is the living stone rejected by all men. That's why the wise men put bitter mirror at his feet, saying that you will be bitter in your life. You will be rejected by this world. You see that? But now look at the church. As we walk like Christ, as we emulate Christ in the Christian walk, we too should be able to experience the bitterness that Christ experienced in the rejection. That means when the church approaches the Holy Communion table, the church should be able to wear the bitterness that Christ went through, even as he lived on earth here. Has the church done that? And unfortunately, the answer is no. Let me bring it to another level. First Peter chapter 1, verse 19, still the same thing. And he says here very carefully, But with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. That is essentially still the Passover lamb that was rejected. The perfect Passover lamb that is completely rejected by the world. Hallelujah. And, you know, only accepted by the Father. Somebody, I want to go to something more important now. A very critical revelation. And again, there are two levels of this revelation here. Why did the Father order Israel, command Israel to have bitter herb every time they commemorate the Passover feast? Now, the first one we have seen, the deep revelation to the church is the bitterness that Christ would go through at birth. No wonder bitter meal is placed at his feet. He has entered with bitter meal. He's born like this, bitter meal is at his feet. Gold, bitter meal, and frankincense. Gold speaking about the everlasting presence of God around him. The bitter meal, the bitterness of his life, the rejection he would suffer. And then frankincense, out of that rejection, a fragrance would come forth into the throne room of God to atone for the sins of the world. But now there is the next level, somebody. The book of John chapter 19, this is getting very deep now. Why the bitter herb? 
John chapter 19. Hallelujah. And I'm reading today verse 38 to verse 42. Listen to what he says. Later Joseph the Aramathai asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and alloy, about 70 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Listen to me, somebody. We can stop there. What is the significance of the bitter herb in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8? And what is the prophecy God was speaking there concerning the Messiah, concerning the Passover lamp that is Jesus, concerning the Holy Communion and the rapture? Hallelujah. And so we see very clearly in verse 39 of John chapter 19, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus had brought a mixture of myrrh and alloy, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish customs. Now listen to me, precious people. It's very important to understand one thing, that the Lord God commanded Israel to eat the bitter herb during the Passover festivity, Passover, to remember the bitterness that they had gone through. But the prophecy that he was speaking to the church at that time was that Christ, the Passover lamb, had entered the world by bitter mirror. The wise man placed bitter mirror at his feet telling him that your life will be bitter on earth and that bitter life will bring forth a great fragrance into the throne room of our Father in heaven to atone for the sins of man. But look at this now. When he's dead on the cross, Joseph and Nicodemus come and they lower the body. But what do they bring? They bring 75 pounds, which is like 75,000 kilos of bitter meal, and they cover that body. In other words, with bitter meal he entered, with bitter meal he left. Isn't that amazing, somebody? And then you see that he poured alloy, sweet-smelling alloy over it. What was the significance of that, somebody? In other words, the Holy Spirit was giving a prophecy. The Holy Spirit was saying, look, you have suffered so much bitterness on the cross. Throughout your life you have suffered bitterness. And on this cross you have been brutalized. You have suffered so much bitterness that no man has seen. And because of that, the bitter meal is poured to symbolize that bitterness he suffered. A lot of bitter meal, 75,000 kilos of bitter meal. And alloy, sweet-smelling oil is poured. Speaking about the sweet fragrance that this stone body has now brought into the throne room of our Father in heaven that has atoned for the sins of man. 
Hallelujah. Do you understand the meaning of the bitter herb that the Lord commanded Israel in Exodus chapter 12 verse 8 to eat when they mark the Passover festivity? It is very deep. With bitter meal you entered, that is the Lord Jesus, with bitter meal you left. With bitterness you entered, many children were killed of two years and under. They escaped with you to Egypt. Rachel is wailing in Ramah and weeping. Bitterness all the time, rejection, the living stone that is rejected. Finally, you suffered the greatest brutality of bitterness that tore your body. Let's look at the tearing of the body that he's talking about here. Tearing of the body. The book of Isaiah, somebody. Isaiah here. Isaiah chapter 52. The bitterness on the cross that he suffered that brought us peace. Verse 13 to 15, he says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man. Do you hear this, somebody? Totally disfigured on the cross beyond the look of any man. And he says, his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man. His form was marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. He was damaged beyond human recognition. That is what Nicodemus poured bitter meal over. Speaking of the fact that, and the Holy Spirit was using Nicodemus to say, look, you have suffered the greatest bitterness on the cross, and that's why I'm pouring this bitter meal on you, to speak about the greatest bitterness your life has suffered, culminating into this greatest tearing of you, so you don't even look like human form anymore. Isaiah 53 is right there, you see. And he says, he grew up like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Listen to that, like one from whom people should hide their faces. Hmm? He was despised and we esteemed him not. Look at that somebody. That is the bitter tearing that he went through on the cross. So you see that he was brought in in bitterness. Therefore the wise men brought the bitter mirror at his feet, at his bath. And then he left with bitterness the bitter mirror Nicodemus brought in. What is the deeper second level meaning of the bitter mirror? that now is being poured on him. What is the revelation and the prophecy the father was speaking when he told Israel, always eat the bitter herb when you mark the Passover? Let me bring it to another level, precious people. Nicodemus had a conversation with Jesus in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 1. Hallelujah. And look at what Nicodemus said. Now there was a man of the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher 
who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Do you hear that somebody? How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. The flesh gives birth to the flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. You see that? This is amazing to me. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up, look at that somebody, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, hallelujah, this is a tremendous revelation, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Let me stop there, somebody. Listen to this mighty revelation. Why does Joseph finally appear with Nicodemus who had visited Jesus in John chapter 3? What is the importance of that in relationship to the bitter harp that the Lord ordained and commanded Israel in Exodus 12 verse 8 to keep eating every time they are going through the Passover festivity? Now you see that Nicodemus brings the bitter meal and covers the body of Christ. Speaking about the bitterness Christ has gone through. But you also begin to understand that the conversation Nicodemus had with Jesus in John chapter 3 was not yet completed until John chapter 19. Because Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And down there he goes on, Nicodemus said, but how can I enter my mother's womb and be born again when I'm mature already? And Jesus says, no, that's not what I meant. He says, unless what is born of the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit, what's born of the flesh gives birth to the flesh. That means to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born of the Spirit. And the rapture is a spiritual wedding. That's why we all must be born of the Spirit, be filled of the Spirit, so we can wed the Spirit-filled man Jesus in a spiritual wedding, the rapture. To wear the spiritual rings in heaven. To hear the spiritual voice of the archangel. To hear the spiritual trumpet of God in the sky. To enter the spiritual kingdom of God in heaven. So, when Nicodemus begins the conversation with Jesus in John chapter 3, he says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Essentially, 
it was not finished until John chapter 19. Because John chapter 3 on, Jesus said, That which is born of the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh gives birth to the flesh. Now look at this, somebody. The flesh is made out of the dust of the earth. The flesh is loaded with sin. The wages of sin is death. In other words, Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that you must kill the flesh first before you enter the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Now listen to another revelation here. Down there in John chapter 3, Jesus said, Just as Moses raised the bronze snake on the cross, that those that would focus on it during the time when they have been attacked, they will be delivered. So will the Son of Man be raised, so those who believe in him may enter the kingdom of God. What does that tell us here, somebody? Number one is this. When Jesus was being used of the Lord to deliver the church, the prophecy had already been spoken when the Lord called Moses through the burning fire, the burning bush. When the Lord called Moses by the burning bush, and he asked him, what is that in your hand? Essentially, that rod, which Moses used to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt into the wilderness of repentance, hallelujah, the wilderness of worship, into the promised land of milk and honey, that rod essentially symbolized the cross of Jesus. And Moses did a prophecy of what Jesus was going to do with the church. Using that rod, Moses delivered Israel from Egypt into the promised land through the wilderness. Hallelujah. Now listen to this. Jesus would then come with the cross and deliver the church from spiritual Egypt so the church may be free now to worship into the wilderness of repentance, into the promised land of milk and honey, the rapture of the church, the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Say, and never again will I drink of the fruit of this vine until it's accomplished in the kingdom of God. So you see very clearly here why Nicodemus has to appear at the end when Jesus, the body, is being removed from the cross. Again, I repeat here, in John chapter 3, Jesus said, Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked, But how possible is it that a man who is as old as I am can enter into his mother's womb to be born again? Is that possible? And Jesus said, no, that which is born of the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. That which is born of the flesh gives birth to the flesh. In other words, he was telling Nicodemus, the kingdom of God is born of the Spirit. So the only way you can enter the kingdom of God is if you are born of the Spirit. In other words, kill your flesh so you may enter the kingdom of God. And that's why you see Nicodemus appearing at the end with bitter meal, 75 pounds worth, and the alloy, the sweet-smelling aroma. 
to speak about the death of the flesh. So Jesus had now ascended into the kingdom of God. Isn't that an amazing revelation, somebody? Now the Lord has released these things to the church that you may mature up because he's coming for only mature bride. But you see that Jesus was also talking about in John chapter 3, just as Moses raised the snake, the bronze snake, on the cross, so will the Son of Man be raised that whoever believes in him may be delivered, may enter the kingdom of God. In other words, when our Father in heaven used Moses with the Lord to deliver Israel from Egypt, so Israel may go worship him in the wilderness and be able to enter the promised land of milk and honey, he essentially was speaking a prophecy to the church of what Christ would do with the cross to deliver the church from spiritual Egypt so she could be set free from the death Adam had brought into the wilderness of repentance, repent for the kingdom of God is near, so the church may enter the rapture, the land of milk and honey, the wedding supper of the Lamb of God. Isn't that an amazing revelation of the church? Hallelujah. But I want to take it to another level as we finish here, somebody. Mark chapter 15, we're still looking at Nicodemus bringing the bitter meal and pouring on the body. Mark chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. Mark chapter 15, 22 and 23. What is the prophecy of the bitter herb and the bitter meal that Nicodemus now brings on the body of Christ? Mark 15, verses 22 and 23. Somebody listen to this now. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skulls. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. So you see that myrrh was a constant. The Holy Spirit was causing them to give him myrrh, to speak about the bitterness he has suffered. But let's move on to the next level, precious people. The book of First Peter, chapter 2, verse 21 to 24. What is the meaning of the bitter myrrh? The bitter herb, first of all. What's the meaning of the bitter herb? The bitter herb that the Lord commanded Israel to eat during the Passover. And now we see the bitter meal when Jesus is born. And the bitter meal that Nicodemus brings when Jesus is removed from the cross. His body is removed from the cross. Look at this, somebody. Verse 21-24 of the book of First Peter chapter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So every time you approach the Holy Communion table, you should approach with bitterness because you're following the example of the bitterness he went through. But listen to the next level. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Listen to this, somebody. In the book of Exodus... When the Lord sent Moses to call Aaron, he commanded Moses in Exodus chapter 30, verse 22, I remember. He commanded Moses to prepare sacred anointing oil, and part of the component was bitter myrrh, liquid myrrh. 
and the liquid meat component of the sacred anointing oil was meant to purify Aaron. Because in those days, liquid meat was used to wash the wounds, kill the bacteria from the wounds. So that's why the sacred anointing oil had to contain the liquid meat. And when it's poured on the servant of the Lord, it will bring the purification. Wash out, purify, wash out the sins. So they will be holy and purified before the Lord. Now, we are seeing at the same time that when Jesus is born, the wise men bring mirror to him, a sign of purity now, that your life will be bitter and that bitterness will bring purity a purity that would bring a fragrance of the frankincense that would saturate the throne room of God. And then it would atone for the sins of men. But listen to this. Nicodemus brings mere bitterness and purity. At the end also, when he is done with the world, what is the meaning of that? That means, without sin he came, and without sin, he left. Hallelujah. What a tremendous revelation, somebody. In the book of First Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Hallelujah. What a mighty, mighty revelation to the church of Christ. Let us finish up with this. Still talking about the bitter meal. The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. This is very deep. Hallelujah. Extremely deep now for the church. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were yet was without sin. He entered without sin and he left without sin. That's why the wise men brought Mir, talking about purity and purification that would be in his life, the purity that would characterize his life, sinlessness that would be in his life. And when he left, when Nicodemus pulled him with Joseph from the cross, they poured the mirror talking about the purity, the sinlessness with which he left. Without sin he came, without sin he left. Hallelujah. Look at this somebody. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 26 to 28. Same thing. 7, 26 to 28. This is what he's talking about. Why did he enter with mirror and live with mirror? He says, such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I want to bring you to another level, precious people. Why did Jehovah the Father, in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 8, command Israel that every time you commemorate and celebrate the feast of Passover, don't cook the Passover lamb in water or eat it raw. Don't eat him raw, but roast him on fire. Exodus chapter 12 verse 8. 
This is the revelation here, precious people. When Nicodemus put Mir on the body of Christ after they removed him from the cross, he poured alloy, sweet-smelling alloy, which said, out of this broken body, out of this body that has been abused, has come forth a fragrance that has saturated the throne room of our Father in heaven, therefore making him atone for the sins of all men. Hallelujah. And when the lamb is being roasted, in Exodus chapter 12 verse 8, then the father, he could receive the sweet fragrance, the aroma, and then release Israel from Egypt. The book of Leviticus 23, verse 4 to 8. Why did he command the roasting of the lamb? Leviticus 23, hallelujah, verses 4 to 8. Today we are getting very deep. Look at what he says here. Leviticus 23, verses 4, all the way to verse 8. He says, the Passover, the unleavened bread. He says, these are the Lord's appointed feasts and the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. These are the Lord's appointed feasts and sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present an offering made unto the Lord by fire. Do you hear me, precious people? And he says, do no regular work. He was commanding that they present sacrifice prepared unto the Lord by fire. What was the message to the church? In other words, he was telling the church, when it comes to the rapture of the church, please only present the church that has been purified by the fire of the Holy Spirit. Because the two golden rings in the sky are made of very rich, highly purified gold. And we know that only fire purifies gold to the highest purity, removing impurities. And we know also that only the fire of the Holy Spirit can purify the sins of the church and keep her pure, sinless, like Christ. The book of Matthew, hallelujah. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, we've seen the frankincense that was a meeting, a fragrance, which the wise men brought. That also speaks of the precious roasting that was taking place of the Lamb. You know, Exodus 12, verse 8. Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. This is getting very deep today. Hallelujah. Why did the Lord command that Israel would have to roast the lamb, not to boil it in water 
or eat it raw. What was the message to the church? Look at this, somebody. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters that will separate the water from water. So God made an expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Let us move to the next level. Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 17. Hallelujah. 8 to 17. Listen, these precious people. Now the Lord God had planted the garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. Again, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow in the ground, trees that were pleasing to his eyes and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river was water in the garden that flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four waterheads. The name of the first was Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Avila, where there is gold. The gold in that land is good gold, aromatic raisin, and onyx. How does that relate to the roasting of the lamb that God commanded, that during Passover you can only roast the lamb on fire, and eat it with bitter herb and bread without yeast. Now listen to this somebody. We see very clearly here that when the Lord created man in a perfect plan in the Garden of Eden, man was very obedient. He was offering a sacrifice of obedience unto the Father because the Lord said, don't eat of this tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and for as long as man did not eat of that tree, God walked with man in the cool of the day. He was offering a perfect sacrifice unto the Lord. Hallelujah. And listen to this somebody. And because of that, there was a river that was flowing. And I want to focus on one waterhead called Pishon. Pishon is the good river that flowed in the land of gold, and the gold in that land was good gold. What does it mean, good gold, to the Lord? That means holy, pure to the Lord. Only what is holy is called good to the Lord. That means that land was a holy land. And there was the tree of life on both sides of that river. Hallelujah. Aromatic raisin and onyx. Remember when the high priests were making their gowns, their gowns, they were commanded to adorn them with onyx. The twelve of them to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. Remember, again somebody listen to this, I repeat this. Remember, when the high priest was making the gown, their gowns had to have onyx, special precious stones, Twelve of them represent the twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve sons of Jacob. And in that land where 
Pishon was flowing that river, there was onyx used to make the gown of the high priest. And the gold in that land was good gold. And that's why when the Lord on the 1st of November presented to me the two wedding rings that are very gold and pure gold, rich gold, original gold, in the sky, undefiled gold, he essentially spoke a prophecy being fulfilled. He said, when I first created man, before man fell, he was obedient to me. He was offering a spiritual sacrifice of obedience to me. I walked with man in the cool of the day. And listen to this. He was walking in that land and I created gold. That gold was good, undefiled gold, the original gold. And from that gold, I have now created the wedding rings. When man is restored into the kingdom of God, then man wears the golden rings made out of the original gold. The first gold. That's why when the Lord said, I'm longing for my first church, the first faithful church, this is the deeper meaning of that longing. When he said in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, in those days I will restore David's fallen tent, his ruins I will build, as it used to be. He was talking about restoring the church, your heart, to when it was not yet defiled, and man was offering the spiritual sacrifice of obedience before the fall of Adam, and God was walking with man. But listen to this now. When man was walking with God, he was perfectly obedient to God before the fall of Adam. God walked with him in the cool of the day, now listen to this. When men fell from disobedience, eating from the tree that he was warned not to eat from, listen to this somebody, then the Lord brought Jesus to restore man by restoring the sacrifice of obedience. Hallelujah. The spiritual sacrifice of obedience. And that's why you see he takes from the original gold and he makes the same wedding rings that now are going to be for the wedding of the Lamb of God. No counterfeit wedding rings. Hallelujah. And that's why the wedding rings are made of pure gold. They're like antiques. They're old. Hallelujah. They're very original. Precious people, what is the deeper revelation, the next level of the mirror that Nicodemus poured on the body of Christ when he removed that body with Joseph, from the cross. It also speaks of the deep pain Jesus went through on the cross. That is Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 52 verses 13 to 15. May the Lord bless you. Shalom. Hallelujah. If you are somewhere today and you've watched this program, and you have realized that you've fallen short of the glory of the Lord, of the holiness of the Lord, and of the ways of the Lord. And now you want to receive him as Lord and Savior. Please repeat this prayer with me. Say, precious Jesus, I repent of all my sins.
And I open my heart to you, Jesus, that you may fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I may live to please you. Mighty Jesus, keep my name in the book of life of the Lamb of God and bring me into the rapture of the church. In the name of Jesus, I have prayed. If you have said that prayer, find a Bible teaching church and prepare the way. Stay in repentance, make sure you are baptized and walk in absolute holiness. He is coming soon. Prepare the way. Isaiah 40 verse 3. Shalom. Amen. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 